You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. The answers, Scott, look like they're going to be okay. We will report on July 1st. And yes, we will codify the health and safety protocol. And I say this with the same caveat that I have said month after month after an interminable month on this program, which is this is all subject to falling apart because this is Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association that we're dealing with here. But the number of players with whom I spoke tonight had the same refrain. It's time. This is the deal. Let's get back and actually play. Yes, that's right. That's right. Baseball is back, everybody. Baseball's back. Let's fire it up. Judd Zolget, are you ready for baseball? Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Okay, EPL. Oh, we'll, discuss. All right. we'll discuss. All right. I'm going to bring you some, some positivity here that I think even you can get behind okay. as we start the show. But let's first talk about big brothers and big sisters in the, in the state of Minnesota and around the country, but specifically here in the state of Minnesota, is so great when it comes to one-on-one mentoring relationships that ignite uh, ignite the power and promise of youth and and help young people reach their full potential. Think about, you know, even just like in your own life, going back to when you were a kid, how powerful it would have been to have a life mentor, even in some cases, a business mentor. Big Brothers and Big Sisters of America is the oldest and largest youth mentoring organization in the United States. And our friends at Federated Insurance have made a strong commitment through that youth mentoring, in fact, helping to raise over $38 million over the years uh, through the Federated Challenge. And so if you're interested in helping the cause, and it is a great cause, if you're interested in donating or or reading more, federatedchallenge.org is the website, federatedchallenge.org. Let's fire it up, Mackie and Judd. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Come on. I know there's been a lot of bickering, a lot of fighting, a lot of back and forth the last couple months. It looked like it wasn't going to get done. And I guess as we record this technically today, it is not official official because the Players Association still has to sign off on like safety protocol and whether or not they can actually get to quote unquote spring training. By July 1st, but a 60 game baseball season, it's 10 more than we thought the owners were going to tack on. We thought it was going to be 50. The owners, Judd Zolgad, very generously gave us 10 extra games of baseball and they're going to pay the players for those 10 extra games. Oh, and how, how can you not be excited? How nice of them. And oh boy, 60 games for a baseball <laughs> season. Let's see American Legion teams play that amount. If they call this the World Series, they are the biggest frauds ever. This is uh, this is nothing more than a season of to placate fans who are already pissed off, and rightfully so, because these two sides couldn't get their act together. Have you ever, ever gone into, and the answer in my lifetime is definitely yes. I don't know if it's yes in your lifetime, but have you ever gone into a season, though, with a bigger, darker cloud than this whole thing? Because... 
You're not going to have baseball in 2022. There's no way on God's green earth. And the other problem, too, is if you're going to play 60 games, you idiots, this is the year to experiment, right? This is the year to expand the playoffs. This well, they, is they, they tried. They this, tried. No, no, but I'm, but I'm saying for both sides to come together, if you're ever going to experiment, if you're ever going to go behind mommy and daddy's back and do things that aren't good for you, this is the year to do it, the 60-game season. Do everything you want. Violate every rule that the traditionalists believe to be sacred, right? Yeah, put a runner on second in the 10th in a 60-game season. I don't care. Have a home run derby. I don't care. Do all of the Have, to your point last week, Phil Mackey, 16 playoff teams. Mic up the players. It's a 60-game season. It's it's going to be fun to watch, and I'll watch it, but it means nothing. So do all those things, but instead, because these two sides could not agree and because they are setting us up for no baseball in 2022, they're actually going to play by their old rules, aside uh, from the DH, which is going to be used because of the health protocols in the National League. Everything else is going to be, as the traditionalists like, you know what, this is as big a fumble as you can get. So this it is really the hilarious is. part, okay? This is the so hilarious part. So bring me your positivity, Phil Mackey. I do have positivity, but I but just to piggyback off what you were saying, the hilarious part is they just agreed to the same agreement Correct. that they set forth on March 26th. On March 26th, the players and the and and, and the owners said, "All right, well, this whole thing got shut down. Uh, let's let's evaluate this thing as we go forward. But as long as we all agree that it's healthy to come back or that it's safe to come back." And, and we all want to come back and play, then Rob Manfred, the agreement was then Rob Manfred will set the season mm-hmm. as he sees fit with the owners. And, and so all of this negotiation over the last two months and the haggling between prorated and semi-prorated and, and 112 games versus 50 games, all of that haggling was over a new agreement that they were trying to reach, right? Like, okay, we already have this agreement, which means Rob can just set the season however he wants. And so all of this public back and forth was about, well, let's create a new agreement that lasts for the rest of this year and maybe next year until there's a new collective bargaining agreement. And so these two sides desecrated their sport over the course of two months in the middle of a, of a pandemic, in the middle of, of racial protests, billionaires and millionaires, slung mud back and forth publicly when all they would have had to have done in the first place was if you're going to negotiate a new amendment or a new deal, yep. keep it all behind closed doors, yeah. keep it all behind closed doors. And maybe, maybe some things leak out. They're like, Oh yeah, they're, they're trying to figure some stuff out and they're trying to figure out games. And it's, it's, it's a little bit contentious, but it's all behind the scenes. And they could have come out anyways in the middle of June and said, all right, uh, Hey, uh, you know, we've been talking about some things behind the scenes, but none of that's important. The important thing is we all feel comfortable and we're going to play 60 games. Right. If they, had, if they had just come out and said, uh, Hey, you know, that agreement that we struck on March 26th. Um, yep. We're just going to stick to that. Um, you know, we had some conversations, but we're going to stick to that March 26th thing. And we all feel comfortable to come back in July. Who's ready. I don't think people would be as upset well, about the nature of this disagreement. I think the players thought that, that this was going to be done in good faith. I would love to have go back now and see what the agreement was about fans in the stands or no, because anyone who assumed that there were going to be fans in the stands was completely was drinking. Okay, but the other thing was, and I think the players rightfully thought, yeah, Rob's going to set a schedule, let's say 80 games or something like that. And so the fact the fact that 50 was a number 
in that agreement was basically the Armageddon of worst case, but let's try for 80. Let's try for. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you, though. The airing of the dirty laundry throughout this is such a terrible look in a time of pandemic, in a time of of um, unrest in the country. And to have these sides publicly going through, and we can go down the list, to have these sides publicly going through, um, you know, the Jeff Passons of the world and the the Ken Rosenthal's, it was just a terrible, terrible look. Um, I will watch it, but my God, talk about bungling an, oppor- an opportunity to look great and completely bungling it. These guys have done that. So I know we've argued about this you know, going back two months, but I still disagree with what you said off the top of the show, which is that a 60-game season, a World Series is meaningless, and this whole thing is a sham. The, to me, the only way that it's a sham is if a team that wasn't supposed to be anywhere near the playoffs gets into the playoffs because it was a 60-game season, mm-hmm. or vice versa, a team that was scheduled based on projections over the course of six months to get into the playoffs if they miss on uh, like the wild card coin flip or something. But more importantly, if the Kansas City Royals or the Detroit Tigers or something get hot for 50 games or 60 games and they get into the playoffs and they go on to disrupt things in October, that would be a sham for me because that's a team that wouldn't be able to stand the test of 162 games. So for me, if it's the Twins, the Twins were supposed to be the best team in the division. The Twins were supposed to be World Series contenders, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. one maybe one trade away from being really on that Yankees level or that Dodgers level. But the Twins going into a 162-game season were expected to be among the five American League playoff teams. And so, therefore, if the Twins get through the 60-game sprint and they make it through unscathed and they win the division anyways and they finish you know 10 games over 500 or whatever the heck their record would be, to me, everything from October going forward is legitimate because it's just it's it's the same format as we would have had anyway. So if you get in, if you're the Twins and you make it through the sprint and you get in, it's game on, baby. Like October is green light and it's legitimate for me. It's fun. It's cute. So I just can't see it as being in a sixty game season. I'm you know what, Phil, and I'll uh, candor about this seriousness. I might be able to digest eighty or so. You know, I have okay, okay. But 60 games, and I'm not saying it's not going to be fun. I'm not trying to dismiss the fact that you bring, as I've said for a while now, if you bring sports back, I'm going to watch. So this is not going to be, don't get me wrong here, this is not a boycott of, well, it's a fraud to me, so I'm not going to watch. I will. But the legitimacy of baseball is going through that marathon. And and I'm all for cutting it back by some, but I'm not for going down to 60 games. So I'm not trying to say you shouldn't enjoy it if the Twins are good. What I am trying to say is if they win the World Series in 2020, I'm going to I'm going to say it's a shame that they didn't play an actual season and win that World Series. But 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 see to to keep sharpening this pencil, all right? So what you're saying is the difference between 60 games and 160 games equals the legitimacy of a twin if, if the twins win it let's say that and, and by the way i think the twins can win it rich hill's going to be ready to rock and roll for i guess we don't know that because we haven't heard from the twins on the injury front but we're going to assume how about the first rich baseman? hills can ready to rock and roll how about the first baseman well he's got some legal things he might have to figure out <laughs> yes sir based on those weird reports that came out last week <clears throat> that really have had no, i don't think there's been any follow-up reports from any credible american news outlet but 
but you're again, you're saying the difference between a 60 game season and a 162 game season mm-hmm. equals the legitimacy of your title win. Yes. And I'm saying the only way I would agree with that is if you took advantage of a 60 game season to get into a playoff bracket, you were not supposed to be part of, and you disrupted it. The twins are supposed to be part of the playoff bracket. And so what we're doing basically is we're just getting to the point. We're just we're just shaving a hundred games off of a story that we just like. Listen, we've seen this story before with the Twins for fifteen years. We've seen this story. Yep. A team that wins ninety to hundred games just get us to October. In fact, we should want this as as people who follow this team. <laughs> I've I have seen the regular season thing like great, and I love watching one hundred sixty two games of baseball. But yeah, we have we have seen the Twins do their thing and win the division. And you know what? This year we get to fast forward to the damn playoffs, which is where the Twins cheapened. haven't done anything you, since nineteen ninety. You just made the case of why it's cheapened. No, no, I'm it's, saying. And, the and twi- by the, the twi- way, by the way, you are you are uh, skipping um, tracks on the album of the Red Sox, the Yankees, the entire American leagues, the East, the entire West. And I believe that all these games are going to be played in the American league central, which by the way, stinks and, and the national league central. And those are your opponents. It's a 1000% cheapened. I'm not saying it can't be fun. I'm just saying it's fun. It's not real. Wait, hold on. That's, that's actually one thing I haven't heard. The, the 60 games are going to be all strictly within your division. That's the like plan. you won't, to be, so so that your tra- so that even, your travel is cut way down. Well, no, no that's my better. point. It's as cheap as you can get. It's a shortcut. Well, you know what? I'm not going to let you rain on my parade. Listen, buddy, I know bring, you won I'm a gonna... World Series. Okay, I've seen two. You've seen none. I I'm with you. I get your pain, but I cannot legitimize. I can't sit here and legitimize it as being something where I will say, you know what? That goes right on the shelf with 87 and 91. I can't do it. I'm going to bring some I'm going to bring some positivity to the Mackie and Judd show today. And you know what, Judd, if if you need to leave the room because this is too much positivity for you, then you let us know. I know I got to stay here is the premiere of reality. Closed circuit to people who want some baseball positivity. I've got 18 words of pure joy. Are you guys ready? 18 words of pure joy for you in the form of the Minnesota Twins 2020 projected lineup. That we that we've that we've been away from this for three months. It's been three months since we've looked at this projected lineup, a lineup that was projected to be the best on paper in the entire sport. And it starts with Max Kepler leading off. Love that. Playing in the outfield. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Max Kepler, according to Roto Champ, scheduled to hit thirty more home runs this season. OPS. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. Re- reproject that, baby. <laughs> what, Prorated. We'll what's see. that? I don't know. What's Max that in sixty games for Max? Probably still 12, 30 based on 13. how great he was last year. Jorge Polanco, MVP caliber player for the first half of last season, looking to put it all together, batting number two. Yep. Nelson Nelson Cruz, humanitarian of the year in Major League Baseball and also designated hitter of the year in the American League in 2020. Yep. Josh Donaldson, still probably two more years left of prime play, one of the best offensive players in baseball the last eight years. It's sounding good. Up. It's sounding good. Eddie Rosario, free swinging, clutch hitting. (laughs) Eddie Rosario. Skip ahead. (laughs) Mitch Garver, maybe the best hitting catcher in all of Major League Baseball, batting sixth, sixth in your lineup. He's got Babe Ruth like the new power number. That's right. Luis Arise, batting 
seventh. Nice. Never the dude hasn't struck out in his entire career <laughs> going back to Little League, and he's batting seventh in your order. Miguel Sano, Miguel Sano batting eighth. He's got some. He's got some things wow. going on in his personal uh, life. Who's your other first baseman? Miguel Sano, all right. And uh, Byron Buxton, who by the way was a question mark to start the season because of the shoulder surgery. I don't think there's any question at this no. point that Byron Buxton is going to be ready to rock and roll by the time late July rolls around. No, nope. those are 18 words of pure hey, joy for Twins fans. I'm not. Yes, bring it. Yes, and we will all watch it. We will all watch it, and it will be, and it was going to be great, and and hopefully it's still fun. I'm just saying the 60 games and the cloud of, of the fact that we're now probably going to get the 2021 campaign. I would hope uninterrupted followed by 2022 with what almost certainly is going to be a lockout. I'm saying that that does definitely rain on the parade of baseball. And look, these guys, I mean, come on. This was, this is, as as uh, you explained, Phil, and you're right, they, they butchered this beyond belief. And really, couldn't you go back to them and be like, you guys are supposed to be smart. Can't you figure out a way to do this and make it at least look palatable? But yeah, it's, uh, and then of course, like there is still a percentage chance that, they get to spring training and there's a bunch of outbreaks or, Don't or there's you agree, more spikes though? and the season never happens was, to begin with. But. Was this not the year to sit down and hammer out the agreement to say, all right, we're going to play, I don't know, 50, 60, 80 games. But what we're going to do is this has to be the year to experiment. Like this was such a slam dunk year to experiment. And, and who was going to say, you can't do that in a 60 game season, right? This no. was the year yeah, to I try mean, all of these things that we've talked about. And, and uh, again, I'm a traditionalist, and I said, no, do it. Go for it. Find out. You you might hit on one or two things where people, you know, mic'd up players. It might work great. And we're all like, okay, that's the norm. This was I'm the year you, to do I, that. I, I was all in on a 14 or I think a 14-team playoff is the sweet spot. I think 16 gets clunky because now it's over half the league, and it's just like it's weird. But if you have a 14-team playoff, you have a four team wild card sprint. Just hey, there's four wild card teams. It's do or die. It's bang, bang, bang. It's day one, day two, yep. and and then boom into the division series. So I think of, I think a fourteen team playoff is uh, as I spill my water whoa, over whoa, here. Whoa. Very roll. careful. Don't spill it on any <laughs> equipment. So you know, though, I get my way at least in 2021 in the National League. We get to see pitchers continue to hit. Oh, God. Because they didn't remove it, because they didn't come to an agreement. God. I know. Judd Zolgad just dimming the lights oh. late at night. Honey, honey, what are you watching? Nothing, nothing. Just, There's a double just, switch uh, coming uh, up the, the, in the Pirates and Reds game. Yeah. Oh, you know, God. the fact that you guys can appreciate advancing the runner with a beautiful butt is not my fault, okay? Yeah, you got to get that- those runners in the scoring position. Funny, you never talked this much about Matt Tolbert when he was an active player on <laughs> the know, Twins roster. No, you know, no, you love him. Zolgad, Blylevin, Morris. We all believe in the sweet traditions of this yeah, game. So somebody go uh, out and throw 105 damn pitches and give me a complete game. Yeah, there's a, there's a common theme among you three. Yeah, there definitely yeah, is. There is. Yeah, really progressive. <laughs> goes, goes beyond the baseball field, yeah. too. <laughs> well, uh, continuing with our Twins theme, this is a Minnesota Sports Rewind Tuesday on Mackie and Judd, and we are going to do a deep dive into one of the most. Last last week, we did a deep dive into one of the least talked about t- good Twins teams of all time, 1992. This week, it's a deep dive into another one of the most prominent Twins teams of all time, but for different reasons. The Siyoshi Nishioka Twins of 2011, boys. Clear the runway, because I have takes and stories for you guys. That was my 
second full season covering the Twins beat. <laughs> what and a what a season it was on, coming off Yoga. a division title. <laughs> so we'll dive into that and we'll wrap with Royce. And by the way, you can always find our daily Vikings conversations, even during this dead off season before training camp, we're talking Vikings every day on the purple daily podcast feed and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash score North. And we've had a lot of people ask us since all the score North changes back on May 1st, like, what? okay, what can we do to help you? You know, how can we keep this thing going? And really the best things you can do to help us are a listen to our shows, download them. Uh, you can still listen on AM 1500 score North on the radio from five to six o'clock uh, every weekday, but, but listening to our shows, downloading our shows and, and telling a friend about our shows or five friends and subscribing to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash score North are all very helpful things and giving us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple or anywhere else you can do such things. So we'll come back. We'll dive in to just a glorious disaster of a twin season. And also a twin season that actually is a great illustration for what can happen in a 60 game shortened season. Because, well, we'll, we'll explain why, but Luther Brookdale Toyota is on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. And, uh, and they're kicking off summer. It's officially a couple days ago. We had uh, the longest day of the year. And when summer is here, that means you can get into a brand new hybrid, 0% financing, save a little gas, save a little money. It's a, it's a summer kickoff special and also 0% interest for 60 months on all certified pre-owned Camrys and RAV4s. Uh, stop in and, and, and get a test drive, or you can even, you can set up a test drive where they will bring the vehicle to you and your home and you can drive it around your neighborhoods if you just don't feel comfortable going into uh, into a store or into a showroom. Now, they are taking safety precautions, and, and they're taking precautions to keep their employees safe and to keep you, the customer, safe as well. Uh, but maybe the first stop for you is the website, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. And again, 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. Off the knuckles, out number two. Liner to short, Liliano has his TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's Minnesota Sports Rewind. You know, when we're not playing so well, uh, you know, stick with us. Uh, you know, we're going to play hard each and every night. Uh, you know, we try not to make mistakes, but sometimes it happens. And, uh, you know, just, just, just keep, uh, keep, you know, keep your eyes on us. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for watching us. That's basically it. Thank you. All right, welcome in, Mackie and Judd's Minnesota Sports Rewind, where we do deep dives into prominent Minnesota sporting events, games, trades, moments, etc. 20-plus episodes available on the Minnesota Sports Rewind podcast feed, Apple, Spotify, and scorenorth.com. And gentlemen, we got Judd, we got Declan here producing. This episode is all about the 2011 Minnesota Twins, the Suyoshi Nishioka Minnesota Twins and those clips you heard off the top. I actually, I admit, like I did a deep dive. I covered that team. And of all the things that happened that year, I actually forgot until right before we jumped into this episode that Francisco Lariano threw like a six walk, no hitter in Chicago. You covered it <laughs> against the White Sox. You covered that uh, game. You were I, there in person. I was there. Yeah. I have a story about that actually, which we'll get into later on here that I'm sort of ashamed to tell, but this is a safe space. Oh, you've told it, you've told it before. Come on, recycle it. Bring <laughs> well, it out, baby. I will. I'll tell, I'll tell it when we get to the, to the key question. Uh, but this, this season, 
I think this is the, part of the reason why we chose this season for this week is because Major League Baseball is uh, instituting a 60-game season. And I think the 2011 Twins are a great example of how 60 games can be a total mirage crapshoot for what a team actually is. And we'll get into some of that too. But I want to set the scene and go through a summary of events and, and Judd, stop me as I go along here. And then we'll get into some of the key questions. Okay. The, the Twins were coming off, going into 2011, the Twins were coming off a decade of American League Central dominance. Six division titles in 10 years, a bunch of playoff appearances, but they kept running into the same brick wall in the playoffs, mostly the Yankees. Uh, who swept them in the 2010 ALDS and previously in the 2009 ALDS as well. And so going into the 2010-11 offseason, really the, the the two main themes for the Twins, which, by the way, the Twins had no thought of entering a rebuilding phase or a down period. They had just moved into target field a year prior. They had one of the best records in baseball the year before as well. Yeah, that you know, in their minds, Justin Morneau was coming back healthy, and he was maybe the best player in baseball the first half of 2010. And so, the two main themes going into the season were number one, let's get the band back together as much as possible and run it back and just try again. And number two, speed. Got to get greasy, fast, speed. National League get, pretty much. Same as uh, get, baseball mid 80s. Yeah, that's so Ron Gardenhire throughout the winter meetings and the offseason talked about, listen, we just got to get faster on the base paths. You mm-hmm. look at some of these other teams in the American League, like the Rays, and they've, do, they've just got better athletes all over the field. So got to get faster on the base paths, faster in the field. And so they jettisoned slow-footed and injured shortstop J.J. Hardy. They traded him to the Baltimore Orioles. Can you guys remember who J.J. Hardy was traded for? It was, uh, Jim Hoy? There was two pitchers and Jim, um, Jacob, Jim Jacobson. Brent Casey Jacobson? Jacobson or something? And, yeah. I, and I think both. I know Jacobson pitched for the St. Paul Saints, and I, I think Jim Hoy was also an American Association and indie ball guy. So they traded for two indie ball players. And Hoy was a was known as a guy who, who could throw pretty hard, correct? Yeah. As, as they yeah. tried yeah. to... As they rebelled against the pitch-to-contact notion that they would actually not want guys who throw hard, which, of course, they didn't. Correct. Yeah, Jim Hoy could throw hard, but, uh, yeah, he needed a strike zone the side of the the, the Great Wall of China, so... Yeah. Um, so uh, so they trade away J.J. Hardy. J.J. Hardy winds up hitting 30 home runs in Baltimore. And if, if I remember correctly, the Baltimore trainers healed his injured wrist. And then he threw the Twins training staff under the bus when the Orioles visited Target Field in 2011. So that was a thing. But the Twins' main thing in the offseason was setting their sights on Japanese batting champion Siyoshi Nishioka, who batted 345 in the peak of his prime, 27, 25, 26 years old, somewhere in there. He's in his mid-20s. Yep. And they said, this is our guy right here. He's going to bring speed. He's going to bring uh, a batting champion prowess from Japan. Yep. And he's only going to cost, you know, it was, it was like a $10 million guaranteed contract or something and spread over three years. They paid a posting fee as well, right? A couple million yeah, bucks or something uh, like that for the posting fee. I think it was like $5 million. Yeah, okay. something like that for a posting fee. But this fee. was going to be their shortstop for the long term. This was it. Like this, they they thought they thought they were getting the like the next great international player. Maybe not quite Ichiro, but they thought they were getting sure. a great starting caliber middle infielder. And we'll get more into that as well. But the Twins entered the season with the highest opening day payroll in team history, a hundred twelve million dollar payroll 
which was nearly double what the payroll had been just two years prior. And so I don't know where this narrative came from. Like, well, you promised us you were going to raise the payroll and you didn't like they literally doubled their payroll from 2009 through 2011. Mm -hmm. And it was a disaster at the end. So they out, out of the gate, they lose their first two games in Toronto, a combined 19 to four. The next series, Nishioka gets his leg broken because he didn't understand that American players slide hard into second base. The next week, Joe Maurer was ruled out with what the team coined bilateral leg weakness. And the Twins ultimately started 17 and 37 in the first two months of the year, 20 games under 500 and 16 and a half games out of first place. But then a funny thing happened, gentlemen, starting on June 2nd. The Twins rattled off 15 wins in 17 games, closing to within six and a half by mid-June. They shaved 10 games off the division lead in like two and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. And it culminated in San Francisco, if you guys remember, I do. with an eight-run first inning off Madison Bumgarner. And it was a celebration. It was like, on a Sunday, Dick right? Dick Kramer didn't know what was happening. Um, no, it was, I think it was the, it was a weeknight. It was like it was a, a Thursday Tuesday. night. It was a Tuesday. I remember vividly coming back from Chicago from a family vacation and seeing the score in the Delta airport saying eight, nothing yeah. twins first inning. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, of course the, you know, from, from a 1500 ESPN standpoint at the time. So I had started sort of tongue in cheek at first, but then it turned into a thing, this hashtag it's happening. It was the early days of Twitter and it like it's happening started trending basically during every twins game because they were winning every game during that period. And we had, I'm not going to throw people under the bus here, but like we had, a promotions person uh, who worked for us. And like, we had t-shirts ready to rock and roll. This thing was hot before that giants game. Mm -hmm. Hey, the twins, the twins are making a comeback in the division. Like this is what they do. They come back 2009. They came back in September. You know, this is, this is the little engine that could twins again, right? They're going to come back from 20 games under 500. It's happening. And it became a huge thing. And we had t-shirts basically ready to rock and roll. And uh, and I remember like sending an email out before the San Francisco Giants game, say, hey, are we can we can we promote this? Like, can we if you know if they win again tonight, can we promote this? And it was like, ah, actually, um, I need another like day or two because of something like the website link isn't working or like some something. And they go on an eight zero run in the first inning, and we would have sold five hundred t shirts on Twitter like the second year of Twitter's popularity. And as it turns out, um, that was the peak. <laughs> That was it right there. Like, so they, they grinded the division lead down to five yeah. by mid July. They played pretty well until mid July. And, and so from that, from that first week in June until toward the end of July, the twins were 33 and 19 over that stretch. And that's a 52 game stretch, in which they played 103 win baseball. 33 and 19 is a 103 win pace. So they played for, for basically a third of the season. The twins had the best record in baseball. 33 and 19, a 103 win pace. Yep. And they wind up finishing 63 and 99 on the year. <laughs> well, and nobody, and Amazing. It, it's one of the greatest um, franchise collapses too, right? Because nobody saw this coming and everybody thought, you know, year two target field, it's going to be great again. This team is going to be fantastic, blah, blah. Here's the interesting thing uh, about that dark period in sports in this town too. Think about this. Within basically a two-season period, you have what would are probably two of the top five most disappointing, uh, because of expectations, seasons in Minnesota sports history. Because 
The 2010 Vikings are one of the greatest disappointments given what we thought in 2009 and Favre's coming back. And and to use Phil's term, the band's back together. It's going to be great. And the 2010 Vikings go in the proverbial crapper. The coach gets fired. Everything goes wrong. And the Twins was sort of the same thing. You know, 2010, Target Field, man, you're in the new ballpark. And then, again, to Phil's point, the payroll goes up. And so, at that time, the expectation was, look, the poll ads are spending now. And this is only going to get better. And, and so, within a two-season period of time in football and baseball, I think that you could make a very good case that as far as expectations and then subsequent disappointment, those are two top five seasons in the history of both uh, of both teams, which in the Vikings and Twins case started in 1961, ever. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Ever. <laughs> and it's like just two like the most shocking bad seasons, right? right? Back to back. Right. That's the thing is, if you know you're going to be crap, nobody cares. Like, right. it's like, okay, they're crappy. I knew they were going to be crap. And the Twins have had a lot of those years. Of yes. course, starting in 2012, they had a lot of th- those years. And the same thing held true in the early 80s. But this was a season where we all thought, I mean, I remember going and trying to get tickets on the street outside Target Field in the summer of 2010. And I kid you guys not, my buddy and I went to a Saturday afternoon, of course, sold out Rangers-Twins game. And on the street, the asking price, regular season game, I want to say it was like June, okay? $100 a piece. Yeah. Like, that's how (laughs) hot the stadium was. That's how hot the team was. That's how much this town at that point and, you know, rightfully so, had embraced that team. A hundred bucks. Three years after that, you couldn't have given those tickets away. Yes. So that brings us to our first key question here. Let's get right into him. Was Siyoshi Nishioka the worst free agent signing in Twins history, Judd? Mm. Well, you know, Phil, this is difficult because we do have some Decent choices, you know. Dude, it's 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 so Ricky Nolasco is on yeah. that list. Ricky Nolasco was like at least he gave like he wasn't he gave you some okay. quality start. Here here's why here's why I think the answer and I might be wrong here, but here's why I think the answer to your question is yes. Expectation, not only of the public but the team itself. Like it felt like Terry signed Nolasco because well Terry you got to sign somebody okay I'll give this dunderhead the money okay because he was just a gearhead he was an idiot um, but Nishioka comes here and it's not just us it's management which by the way really hadn't scouted him efficiently but it's management saying this guy is for real here's why I think it's number one though <laughs> back to the point about JJ Hardy maybe not a great player but a productive player right offensively pretty damn good. Yeah. And and when you sign Nolasco, you didn't then take a good pitcher and be like, we're going to trade you, right? You also traded away a competent who could have helped you shortstop for a couple of years at least because you were so confident that in retrospect, a guy who you found out couldn't play shortstop, could not play shortstop, you were confident that he could play shortstop. So I think if we put the... Nishioka um, stew together and blend it all up with what transpired. I think the answer to your question is yes. I I agree. Uh, He is unequivocally, (laughs) and I don't want this to be hyperbole, but, but I believe that he is the worst major league baseball player I've ever seen play with my own two eyes. Major leaguer. I'm not talking about like, you know, like I saw, you know, minor league call-ups in September and stuff that you're testing. I mean, dudes who like, were on the team and signed 
millions of dollars wow. opening day roster, not September call up guys like Joe, you know, Joe Benson was up for 11 games. Like I'm not counting guys like that. I mean, like Joe Benson was going to be a stud. What are you talking about? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I went down a rabbit hole because Joe Benson, his his one and only year in the major leagues was 2011 was the season. And he was a Baseball America top 100 prospect. He was the Twins minor league player of the year at one point. Yes, he was. And and two years ago, as of two years ago, he was playing in, uh, is it the American Association? He, he, uh, he was playing for the, um, no, it might have been a different league. He was playing for the uh, Chicago Dogs. Yeah, that's that's the American Association now. They're part of the okay. American Association. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and he was, you know, basically like he was quoted in an article saying like, "I'll literally take a call from any affiliated minor league team." He hit three hundred, so he's mashing. But but Siyoshi <laughs> Nishioka, okay, Siyoshi Nishioka yeah. played seventy one games for the Twins, seventy one games. So so basically a half of a half a season uh, over the course of two thousand eleven two thousand twelve, he had five extra base hits, five extra base hits in seventy one games. Yeah. And he was brought in because of speed, right? He's gonna he's gonna inject speed, greasy, fast speed. He was caught stealing twice as often as he stole bases, and he couldn't field a ground ball. But he could smoke. Short or he, could sm- he could smoke those cigarettes, baby. He did. He was known for going into the laundry area uh, where they would wash all the uniforms and stuff, and he would rip heaters. The other, the, I would say, the the biggest benefit Siyoshi Nishioka brought to the Twins was in his contract. He demanded that one of the four toilet stalls in the twins clubhouse bathroom be turned into a Japanese bidet Yeah, because, you know, culturally he had been for 25 years of his life. I'd love a bidet. It's a little self-cleaning, a little yeah. splashy, splashy action. Splashy, splashy. And, yeah. and as far as I know, as of two years ago, that bidet was still in the twins clubhouse. So <laughs> good for the twins. That might for, be a good story. The for search it in. for the b- bidet. Yeah. Is the bidet I still there? So. so I think the, the biggest, um, I don't know what the word is like the like to me one the thing that stands out the most I guess when thinking back to the Nishioka era was how quickly his narrative changed from spring training until like halfway through the year and even like the, the first few games you saw him before he got his leg broken the second series so he comes in to Fort Myers and you know the the first full team workout is usually on like February 18th or February 20th or something and but but guys usually show up a few days beforehand, sometimes a week beforehand, and some guys just live down there, mm-hmm. and they'll go to the ballpark, and you'll see like even five days before the full organized team workout, you'll see guys on these side fields taking batting practice and and doing organized drills just amongst the players. And um, and Nishioka was down there. He got down there a little bit early because usually Japanese spring training starts like, like a couple weeks before American spring training, and so he wanted to get down there, and he had uh, his translator. He had his nutritionist, he had his trainer, and some other, like maybe his agent, because there was four people that were in his group all the time. Mm -hmm. And what happened was the first week before official workouts began, Twins players were working out in a group, kind of just like unofficial workouts on a side field. Excuse me. And they kept asking Nishioka, hey, do you want to come join us? Like, come take round balls with us, come hang out with us. And he uh, and he said, no, I need to do my own thing for the week. And so he wore his own his own like branded jersey and warm up pants. He wouldn't wear the twin stuff. And he had his four handlers, his translator, like his trainer, et cetera, et cetera. And they would go through all the drills with him. So you'd see the twins working out on one field over here. And Nishioka with his entourage would be running laps on the warning track on another field. 
and taking fly balls and stuff. And so right off the bat, it was like, okay, there's definitely a cultural difference here. And okay, if this guy needs to come in, he's coming from a different country. If he's got to do his own thing to feel comfortable, that's cool. But right away, players were kind of like, is this guy like a prima donna? Like he can't, he's got, he's got four handlers. Like Joe Maurer doesn't have a handler. He makes $23 million a year. Like what's this guy's deal? So there was like right out of the gate, there was this sort of feeling of, all right, why is this guy doing his own thing for a week? Why doesn't he come hang out with us and get to know us? And even in the clubhouse, like he just kind of sat off by himself. And there's, again, there's a language barrier. And so I get that it's kind of difficult. It's very on twins. Like though, didn't it they, is. didn't they, um, it, we, we found out eventually that their, their scouting of him though, had basically been watching a few tapes here and there, but no, nobody had really <laughs> scouted him truly oh. from Billy Smith's staff. And so they, they essentially didn't know small things like he didn't know the double play, um, in, in, the big leagues was going to be the same as turning yeah. a double play at home. So, um, yeah, as, as, as far as I have heard, they clearly didn't do enough homework. I mean, that's right. That's obvious, right? But they like, didn't do <laughs> nearly enough, right? But the one thing that they didn't do for sure that they, that they would not be guilty of now, because now I think the twins are one of the five or six most analytically forward front offices in major league baseball. Yep. But you got to remember in 2009, 2010, the twins did not give a hoot about analytics. They basically had one guy. Uh, they had Jack going essentially, and Jack, and, and like Jack, needed to be cloned. Nine. I, I, I always thought Jack was uh, was really good in that area for the twins. Went on to work for the Diamondbacks and and became a scout for them too. But like he was like the only guy working in analytics in their front office, and they had a couple other guys too that were like they had a couple like interns and maybe a part timer or something, but. One thing they did not look at was Siyoshi Nishioka's analytics. And I don't know how much film study they did, or I know they had a scout who went out there and watched him, but they've all, they've always been kind of secretive and protective about who actually like was responsible for the signing of Nishioka. Yes. But I can tell you that yes. one comb through Siyoshi Nishioka's analytics, you'd see a guy who for the first four or five years of his Japanese career was a pretty good player. And even like the back of the batting car, uh, bat, back of the batting card stats, would say like, oh, he hit, he hit, you know, 270, 280. He batted 258 two years before the twins signed him in Japan, which mm-hmm. is a red flag. Mm-hmm. Like if you're, if you're batting 258 in Japan, which is the equivalent of maybe double A baseball in the, in the United States, that's a problem. So he batted 345 the year before the twins signed him. And it was built largely off of luck. There's something called batting average on balls in play that essentially says like, you know, if you, if you had, you know, 10 seeing eye singles that are not based on how hard you hit the ball or, you know, you just, you just got lucky because you beat the shift a couple times. Uh-huh. Um, batting average on balls in play would help show you that. And you could then correct and say, well, if you were to bring his batting average on balls in play down to a normal level for a player of his speed and caliber, really he would have been a 290 hitter instead of a 345 hitter. So that the twins thought they were getting a 345 hitter. They were really getting like a 290 hitter who got lucky. In double A basically they, though. Yes. <laughs> so he was going to yeah. translate to about 230 in the big leagues. Correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And um Whoops. and my favorite my favorite Nishioka game, I think if well there's actually my favorite Nishioka game is the 2012 game where he came back, they called him up and he dropped a pop-up and like butchered a two hopper to second base. Yeah. And Dan Gladden was on the call and like, you know, he makes these two errors and, you know, ball bounces off his chest and he's like laying on the ground face down. And Dan Gladden just goes mm. <laughs> on the broadcast. 
But my other favorite Nishioka game was in mid-August of 2011. It was at Cleveland. You guys might remember watching this game on TV. So Carl Pavano was on the mound. Uh, by this point, the Twins were like, they had kind of started to slide again. They weren't completely out of it, but like things were kind of going the wrong way. And so there was some frustration. Nishioka had come back from the knee injury mm-hmm. or the leg injury. The Twins are up one to nothing. It's in the sixth inning. They're grinding it out. They're just trying to get a win. The Indians leadoff hitter reaches with a bunt single. So one paper cut. Uh, the next guy reaches on an infield single to shortstop and Nishioka. It was one of those plays where like it was ruled a hit, but Nishioka should have made the play and at least like gotten an out at second base. Right. And then a couple batters later with runners on first and third, Taylor made ground ball to end the inning and to get the twins back in the dugout into the seventh inning with a one nothing lead. And Nishioka just butchers this Taylor made ground ball. And the Indians tie the game. They go on to win the game like three to two. But after the inning was over, Carl Pavana goes into the dugout and just destroys the water cooler with a bat, breaks the bat, and uh, and walks back into the clubhouse. And then to his credit, after the because I mean Nishioka basically ruined the inning and ruined the game, like because he can't feel it shortstop. And after the game was over, Carl Pavano was asked, you know, hey, what happened? You know, you know. It's got to be tough when you're like when you're pitching that well and your shorts like your shortstop makes an error. And Carl Pavano just owned all of it. He said publicly, anyways. He said, "Listen, I just have to make better pitches. I have to do a better job. Like I, I can't put one. my I can't put my feelers in a position where they have to like." <laughs> my my favorite uh, part about that freakout too, and maybe I can pull up the video here as I say it. But Scott Baker's in the corner and just like has to slowly <laughs> step over as his teammate is destroying the trash can. Absolutely destroying the trash can. Let's see if I can pull that's, it up. That's like, it's hilarious. Like when you see when you see guys going bonkers on a water cooler, the reaction of the players, like players are trying to just like keep watching the game. Like right. They don't want to they want to play it cool, but they know that their teammates are freaking out. Were pr- probably at that point in time, <laughs> rightfully so upset that Nishioko was even back up here. I mean, yeah. it made no sense. But here's the okay, so here's the in, interesting thing though about those twins. So Bill Smith gets fired then in November of 11 and Terry comes back. Think about how the twins history tracks differently if the twins had basically decided, you know what? Billy really missed there and Billy has to go. That's that's great. That's all fair. But we're not going back to our old ways because Terry came because Terry came back and had clearly lost the fastball by that point as well, and the game had changed on him. How much different is the Twins' history post-2011 if they go out at that point and say, you know what, the game is changing, and the Falvies and Levines of the world are now the guys, and so it wouldn't have been those two, but we're going to make that type of move with those type of baseball minds starting with the 2012. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a great alternate reality because I think, you know, if you would have, if you would have found the Derek Falvey, Thad Levine equivalent, and you would have gotten to the forefront of analytics and player evaluation and, you know, like forget it, like some people get tripped up by the word analytics. Let, let's just get rid of analytics and say, if you would have been at the forefront of scouting and player development, which the twins were 10 years prior. Absolutely. Terry was and, great. And, and that world changed player development changed and yep. the way that you go about accumulating information changed. And so I think the the best thing that could have I, I don't I, I think your peak was still going to be 2010 because that's Justin like we'll get into the, some of the other stuff here but like Justin Morno a new front office wasn't going to bring Justin Morno's head back you mm-hmm. know um, a new front office wasn't going to but your scouting would have changed greatly yeah and I th- think that's core of players 
Yeah, and and maybe some of those guys would have developed differently. Maybe maybe the Trevor Plouffe, um, Anthony Swarzak, like some of these guys who are first and second round draft picks that that went on to have some success, but maybe didn't maximize their potential. Mm-hmm. Um, like Trevor, I look at a guy like Trevor Plouffe and think, man, like that dude was a first round pick, great power, could play almost any position on the diamond, and was just sort of part of this broken down development system relative to some of the top teams in baseball, like what could, what could have that dude, what could that dude have done in the Falvey Levine pipeline? How about pitching too, though? Mm-hmm. If, if you had, if you had had starting in um, 2012 ish, if you had had a developmental system that understood where pitching was going at that time and the development of that pitching, think about all the years of horse bleed pitching that we saw that didn't have to happen because yeah. you, you essentially had a baseball staff that, you know what, late 90s in, into the 2000s was really damn good. And the game just changed. And it's not their yeah. fault. It's not their fault. But the Twins, uh, going back to Terry and, and insisting that they could recapture that magic, was perhaps one of the most flawed things that we've seen decision-wise in sports in this town. Yeah. In fact, 2011 is a great – I'm just I'm just pulling up the pitchers who, who made starts that season. Um, th- this was the first year where they started to run out sort of the next generation of, all right, we got to bring some guy like Liam Hendricks made his first four career starts in 2011. The twin and, and he wound up just flaming out while well, Liam Hendricks became one of the best relievers in baseball, like five years later. Mm-hmm. And the twins didn't really know what to do with him. Kevin Slowey made eight starts. Anthony Swarzak made 11 starts. Scott Diamond made his first seven starts in the major leagues that year. And then, the, and then that led into this era of just, barren empty cupboards of pitching. Uh, Let me get to the next key question here for you guys, 2011 twins. How much did injuries play a role in this train wrecking uh, in, in the train wreck season and also just in the train wrecking of an era of twins baseball? Cause you look at 2011, Justin Morneau was still reeling from concussion issues. In fact, he was just 2011 was, his worst year as a major leaguer. He wound up playing in, in 69 games and batted just 227 with four home runs. He just, he had a wrist injury. He had a foot injury. Mm-hmm. He had the concussions. Uh, Joe Maurer, which we'll get to this too. He had the bilateral leg weakness and like the, the knee surgery fallout. Jason Kubel had a foot injury. This was the year that Denard Spann had to sit out games because of vertigo issues. Scott Baker had elbow issues. Like, Everything broke down, and it wound up actually leading to the Twins changing up their training staff and everything. But, um, you know, how much if if this team had the full allotment of players in their prime healthy, I don't think it train wrecked. I think injuries were actually a huge part of the train wreck for 2011. Yeah, I I think it it was now, as as we go back and look at the season, it was a combination of things. It was decisions that were really, really bad, and, and so they take the blame for that. The the development in the system had by this point started to go awry, and that be, and that became key. Uh, but there is no question, and and the one to me that I come back to because it changed. Two thousand and eleven changed how people felt about the twins, rightfully so. But it also changed the narrative forever of Joe Mauer's yes. Mauer's narrative and Mauer's career. Look for the last what Phil. Seven years, eight years, got really murky, really dicey. He yeah. he had been, make no mistake, a hometown hero, okay? So, like, this was not a player who in 09, we were like, yeah, he's had a good year, but he should do more. No. Yeah. Um, and I I do think 
that if Mauer doesn't get hurt and and they move into target field, that people will still still would have moaned and whined about the power because the power in the Metrodome was going to be different than it was in the new ballpark, okay? So I will give you that. But bilateral leg weakness, one of the greatest mistakes made in terminology in words used in this town in sports, forever changed how people felt about Joe. And Joe went from being what I perceived to a lot of people as the hometown hero, hometown kid, good for Joe, to being, and this is the saddest thing, a punch a punchline. He became a yeah. punchline because that became a punchline. If they had given us anything else and said, you know what, Joe, okay, let's talk about this publicly, but here's you know, here's what's wrong. But to come up with a term that nobody knew uh changed was basically the diving board, the jumping off point for people to turn on Joe. And and it went from being, hey, it's Joe Maurer of Creton to Oh, man, that guy can't play, can't stay healthy. Yes. So, all right, let's unpack this because I think you're right. I mean, if like think about how much different Joe Maurer's public image would be in this town if they had said he has complications from knee surgery or a setback from knee surgery and he's just going to have to miss some more time. Like the the knee is just not because he had the clean up knee surgery in the yeah. offseason. Yes. And if, if they had said, yeah, he's just like his knee is bothering him and it's a setback from surgery. Instead of people thinking he's a wuss because what's bi- what's this bilateral leg weakness? He's just got weak legs. Like you know, people people didn't know how to interpret it. And as as, as far as I had heard um, covering that team, it sounds like they just sort of because they were on the road in Tampa. And, and by the way, just to back up a step, it wasn't just a knee injury. Things happened with Joe Mauer medically in that season that we still don't know the full extent of. The Twins were very much like keeping some things private. I don't know how serious things were. I don't know, like they they were they were investigating beyond like oh there's some tissue in his knee right yes um, but Mauer's never really been public about it the Twins have never really been super public about it and then Mauer of course came back to hit 300 a bunch of years in a row and it was like all right well I guess he's back and then uh, eventually he had to move out from behind uh, uh, home plate and became a first baseman but but I so I think the Twins were wrestling with like all right it's not just a knee there's something else happening here something like back related or joint related or something's happening here. And we don't really know what it is yet. And so in that moment of, well, you got to put him on the disabled list and, you know, Bill Smith has to tell reporters something on the road or, or at least pass something down to Ron Gardenhire. And I guess it was like Bill Smith, like wrote on a piece of paper, you know, having talked to the team doctors, like, you know, what should we tell the media? And it was like written on a piece of paper, bilateral leg weakness and handed, I think Gardy made the announcement in the clubhouse or something. But if like, if you could go back and do it all over again, all right, we don't know what's wrong with him. Something's wrong with him. It goes beyond the knee, but like in the absence of having a clear answer, mm-hmm. let's let's just tell the media he's having some complications from his surgery. Just lie. Like they literally could have lied and protected yes. or told a half truth. The meniscus is not right. Right. Like that's all you have or to like, say. Yeah, his like, we're not or even like, like no, it's not. But even think about this like even if you just say that his leg is bothering him, yeah. when you say that it's both legs and it's bilateral leg weakness, yes. now you open up to like, well, my God. Like, Do what? you know what I've realized now, though? And at the time, I, I knew that people were were pissed. And I knew that there were a lot of, of old curmudgeonly sports fans being like, what a, what a wuss, right? But here's what I now, um, what, nine years after the fact, realize. We had delved into what you would now clearly call sports politics. That term is the same to some pe- people as, 
wear a mask now. Think about it. Because think about yeah. the reaction. It was, whoa, that guy can't play. What? I don't even understand this. It, seriously, yeah. it's now, now I would call it sports politics because it's the same type of mentality that you see now from people who have no patience for things that they think are fake. And people and thought then- that was fake. Yep. And then the and then the other phrase, too, when he would sit out with general soreness, right? He's got general soreness. And and so like you literally, had fans, <laughs> you literally had fans in the stands at Target Field with Joe Maurer jerseys. And instead of Maurer on the back, they would tape general soreness on the back of their jerseys. Like and again, some of this is on Maurer, too. You know, Maurer sure. has always been just a super private reserved guy. And he, he's never felt the need to, like, defend himself and. To some extent, I admire that, and and I try to you know to be that too. Like I just I I don't react to tweets the way that I would have ten years ago. And like Joe Maurer is very stoic, and I think I think you probably get a lot more satisfaction out of life if, if you can be as stoic and non reactive as Joe Maurer. But yes. at some point, you got to stand up for yourself yes. and your legacy and your and, image matters. Like you yeah. can't just let people crap on you consistently, and they did. But the sad thing was that. That season and that injury and that excuse followed him around for the rest of his career and really did taint it. Yes. Like it it was never the same. I really think, you know, again, having covered that team and having covered Joe from 2009 slash 10 into like 2013 on a near daily basis. Yep. uh, That dude was size wise, not built to be a catcher. He was six foot three six foot four 200 some pounds he's not that like you you think of built to be a catcher a little bit lower to the ground so you're not going to have to deal with as many you know joint issues and knees and stuff and not and you don't need a great player like it helps to have a good player but you don't need a a guy who is clearly a hall of fame caliber guy as far as at the plate but here's what i want to make very clear that joe mauer played through more discomfort and more pain than he ever let on and people view him as weak. Like people view him as he's not, he's, you know, he's one of the least tough players. Like if you start, if you give him a toughness score based on what fans think it would be very low, but if you gave him an actual toughness score based on what he grinded out throughout his career and knee and back issues and whatever else he had concussion issues, like he is one of the tougher players, but because he's clean shaven and he's soft-spoken and he's not a guy who's going to get his uniform super dirty all the time, sliding into first base. He was viewed differently than I think the reality was. And a lot of that goes back to the 2011 bilateral leg weakness definition. If, if Maurer and Morneau don't get hurt. So, you know, let, let's say that Justin does not suffer the concussion in Toronto um, when sliding in a second to break up the double play. Let's say that Joe has, has a relatively healthy career because he did catch. How much different is the Twins track uh, starting then in 2011 and are both going into the Hall of Fame? I'll answer quick and I'll say yes. I think absolutely yes. I think both of them were on the track to be Hall of Fame players. And I still think Joe Maurer is a Hall of Fame player. He's probably not going to be a first ballot just because of how difficult it is to be a first ballot Hall of Famer in today's day and age. But I, I think if those two core players have relatively healthy seasons and they're still basically borderline all stars every year, then yes, I, I think they're a Hall of Fame, and you have your two pillars, and you have to still get pitching, but those are your two your two pillars that you've built around, and you would have had more sustained success. Uh, I think, I, I think, well, I think Joe Maurer might be a Hall of Famer, anyways. 
Right. Sure. Uh, and when it's all said and done, I think I think the answer for Justin Morneau is yes. I think I think Justin Morneau. So Justin Morneau's career after 2010. Up, so up to 2010. Let's just take that for a second. OK, up to 2010, four all star appearances, 29 years old, 181 career home runs. Uh, he was on. So he was on. Justin Morneau was on pace to go well past a thousand career RBIs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was probably on pace for 400 plus career home runs. He never hit more than 19 home runs in a season after the age of 28 because of injuries. Justin Morneau. Think about that. Like when you're 28 years old, you should have Josh Donaldson's like 33, 34. Yep. And, and he still hits 30 home runs. Like J- Justin Morneau probably would have played at a 30 home run, 100 RBI level for another five years after that. And instead he never even got over 19 home runs, never even got over 82 RBIs, like the numbers that he lost out on. Um, I think he probably lost out on at least a hundred career home runs, which would have put him between 350 and 400, which maybe isn't a hall of fame level, but maybe he then plays like he had to retire when he was 35. Maybe he winds up playing until he's 38 because he's a great hitter. Mm-hmm. So it did it, it. 2011 drastically impacted both those guys careers. Um, one more thing here, just before we wrap this episode, Francisco Liriano's no hitter. Is it one of the more forgotten, obscure twins achievements in franchise history? May 3rd, 2011, nine innings, two strikeouts. Yeah. Only two strikeouts, six walks. Yeah. And coming into that game, he had a 9.13 earned run average. He was just off to a terrible start. Yeah. Had some arm issues. And he winds up no hitting the Chicago White Sox on May 3rd. It's it is and it should be. As I've always said, if you walk six, it's a little league no hitter. You're so wild people can't hit you. It's uh it's fine, but my God, I mean I'm I'm sorry. You know, walk two, I don't care. Walk three, maybe walk six. Uh yes, it's forgotten. It should be among the among the feats that we would uh, look in the media guide that the twins have and say, you know, that was a great day. That was a great accomplishment. I'm sorry. The no, no, that you saw Phil Mackey on the south side of Chicago shortly before you nearly had an incident, an accident, um, <laughs> is not one of the great accomplishments in Twins history. It is largely forgotten, and that's okay with me. Well, it wasn't even one of the great accomplishments of the night, to be honest with you. This is your own because, doing, by uh, the way, though. Tell the story, because this <laughs> is your own. This is self-inflicted damage. I mean, we've all done this, uh, but it's self-inflicted. So, all right. So, I'm in Chicago covering this game. And, uh, and we're, you know, it's, it's by the time you get done, uh, yeah, cause I was a writer and I'm also preparing for the next day's radio show and, and, and whatnot. And, and so we're probably in the press box, the clubhouse in the press box until midnight or after. Mm-hmm. And so it's me, Lavelli Neal, Rep Bollinger. I think that was the trio. We said, all right, let's, we're all done. Let's, let's go get some late night grub here and decompress what we just saw. Holy cow. Yeah, let's saw, talk about those six blocks. That's great. <laughs> but like, we just saw a no hitter. And by the way, that's the second no hitter I've seen in person. How, like, how crazy is that? Yeah. I've seen two no hitters. I've never in seen person. one in person. Yeah. It's just, you know, luck of the draw. And so we went to Mother Hubbard's sports bar, downtown Chicago. Great spot. Like 200 TVs, great wings, everything. And um, I, I just remember um, I was staying in a hotel, the Swiss hotel, 
I remember it. It was four blocks away from Mother Hubbard's. I just, I remember like dropping my stuff off and then walking four blocks to Mother Hubbard's, go inside Mother Hubbard's, and I had a patty melt, some tater tots, and some hot wings, and a couple of beers. And you guys know me, like my stomach does not. Yeah. Which is why this is it was self- a mistake. Which is why this is self inflicted, Declan. Yeah, it was a mistake. Okay, so uh, <laughs> so we're it's like two o'clock in the morning, and like this place, I think it's maybe even open till four. I so we start walking out, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk back to my place and go crash for the night. And as I step foot outside, stomach starts rumbling. You get the gurgle. And it's dropping quick. It's descending quickly, if you know what I mean. Like dumb and dumber style. And I'm thinking, okay, that's all right. I'm just I'm just a few blocks away. Like I'll be I'll be okay for the walk home. And I start to I start to walk. I'm like two blocks, and I realize two things. Number one, wow, this is gonna be a closer call than I thought. (laughs) And number two. I think I'm walking in the wrong direction and I'm not a hundred percent sure. Let me pull out my map on my iPhone and see what's, what's happening here. And because everybody was on their phones, it's downtown Chicago. And it was the early days of iPhones. Like my phone wouldn't find my point on the map. So like, I couldn't like technologically, I couldn't see where I was going. It's dark out. And now I'm starting to panic and make it worse. And so I'm literally like looking down alleys for emergency. Have you guys ever had it that bad? Where yep. like you're like, oh, no, yep. no I've never looked down yes. an alley. <laughs> yes, I have. I I, have, I could have a lot of stories on similar situations you've been in, Phil. But yes, I've I've been down that road. Been down that road. So I'm like I'm like looking. I'm trying. Like in, in like it's two o'clock in the morning. So bar some bars are closing and stuff. And like I'm just like panicking. And so I finally get up to this intersection, and I see a cab driver sitting there. And I look in the window, and so his car is off, and he's sleeping. Like, he's pulled over, and he's taking a nap in his seat. So I knock on the window and wake him up. And he rolls the window, and I said, hey, can you take me to the Swiss Hotel? And I just got this panic, panic look on my face. And he doesn't say anything. He just opens the door. He reaches across, opens the door, starts the car. And I said, uh, yep, Swiss Hotel. And he, again, doesn't say anything pulls forward a half a block oh my God. stops yeah and i look out and i and i was like i was literally a half a block from the oh swiss hotel i just didn't know where i was <laughs> i gave the guy a 20 dollar bill because i felt terrible because i woke him up and for no reason i ran inside and like did, did you get up to of course room? i'm on like, i'm on like the 27th floor the so you, longest elevator ride of all time oh you should have used the lobby bathroom i didn't know where i didn't know where it was i had to make you a decision the hotel was let alone the hotel lobby identify bathroom. the lobby bathrooms at all times Dude, you, <laughs> walk, you, walk in, nice. you walk into the hotel and it's like you have two choices because you think you have 30 seconds you can spend 30 seconds looking for the lobby bathroom or you can get into the elevator where you know there's a bathroom and just hold on for dear life did you consider when when it started to gurgle as you came out of the bar just going back in the bar it wasn't gurgling to that extent. Okay. I thought so I thought I had okay. four blocks. Okay. I thought I had four blocks. Well, and turns out, and it turns out I did. You did, but. yes. <laughs> I got two words for uh, you, buddy. You might a, argue that what happened in that diaper. bathroom was. You might argue that what happened in that bathroom is a great microcosm and analogy for what happened with the rest of that twin season and in that game too. <laughs> Six walks. He cra- he crapped the bed and threw a no hitter. <laughs> And with that, that's the end of Minnesota Sports Rewind for today and maybe ever. <laughs> yeah, that's a good run for it. Fun. You can uh, you can find full episodes where, where we've adopted this into Mackie and Judd, the podcast. Uh, but you can also find full episodes 
isolated episodes and interviews on the Minnesota Sports Rewind podcast feed, Apple, Spotify, and scorenorth.com. Right. Hey, Pat, what's happening with you? How you doing, gents? Good. Well, we uh, we actually... Rattaloni's Ace Hardware. Had to buy some hoses for the backyard. You're unbelievable. And you should have saw the look on the 16-year-old girl when I said, when she told me I had to get, like, this thing to put inside. And I said, is that a little, one of those little rubber dailies? What are you, what are you going to get in change, man? She was not impressed with my knowledge. <laughs> basic, <laughs> basic hookups of hoses, I'll tell you that. Hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm Team Royce here. I got no problem with that. That's right. Uh, I got to get a... You know what? I gotta trade this one in for a healthy wife to do her own yard work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, things were fine when she did her own. If yard. you find that store, tell me. I'll go trade Dawn in. <laughs> That's right. Wonder if they give me any money. Wonder if they take her for three hundred bucks. I don't know. I'm unbelievable. This is Tradio. Way, Tradio with Mackie and Judd. All of a sudden. It's a gorgeous morning again here. The sun just came out, and another another fine day. Yeah, you want to know? Yeah, you want to know why, Pat? Because baseball is back, baby. Sixty game season. Judd Zolgad's being Mister Negative here, but I'm uh, I'm excited that we could all get along in the end, and baseball is fixed forever. (laughs) Yeah, right. I I think they're really getting along well right now. (laughs) But I I will give Manfred credit for one thing. he basically, they had offered him 60 games, right? And they wanted him to sign off on not filing a grievance and trying to win millions. When they wouldn't do it, he still gave them 60 games because if they gave him 52 or something, that that, that would have been used against him in the grievance, right? So uh, yes. I think they were smart to uh, schedule 60 games. And uh, we'll see if it actually begins. uh I guess everybody will uh, be doing uh, at least in states where you can uh, where you can do things. Everybody will be working out at their own ballpark and then go from there, right? Because the way yep. the way uh, the camp the way the situation worked out in Florida with with uh, all the virus uh, is popping up in those train in those spring training facilities uh, didn't work out too good. So anyway, are you? Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, are, I'm okay with it. Are you? See, I'm not. Yeah. 60 games. I mean, it's fine. I'll watch it, but uh, well, it, 60 games ridiculous. You could have played yeah, more. Yeah, but how many? How many? I mean, what? What they could play? 65, maybe. I mean, no, I wanted yeah. 80 back when they could have actually set the, the schedule. Well, yeah, but that that ship had sailed. They uh, they they thought they could. Uh, right. They thought they could get the players to. Uh, Right. They thought they could, they thought they could get the players to uh, to, uh, to take eighty percent or seventy five percent. They wouldn't do it. So I don't know. This is uh, this is about as good as you're going to get. It uh, it is uh, you know I, everybody will say it's a farce, but then somebody will win the World Series and they'll have a celebration. So that's the way that goes. Yeah. I'm uh, Pat, remember the- Pat. I'm rooting for the <laughs> oh, you're back. You're back rooting for the. Have, have we forgotten about that? Or is is Jose Altuve still going to take a fastball up and in, or are we done with that now? I think that uh, they got uh, they got a bigger fish to fry right uh, right now, don't you? I, I I don't think it'll be as big a deal. It'll be a, you know it'll be brought up and everything, but uh, first of all, who's going to be asking answering or asking the questions when we can only talk to guys on Zoom? <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what coverage is going to be like. I mean, uh, okay, 
we cannot get this player, uh, you know, on by ourselves in the clubhouse or, in the, you know, I can see that. Can you get him on the phone? Can you talk to a guy on the telephone for a half hour and get some stuff or not? Is that, uh, you know, in the buildup or is that, is it all going to be uh, uh, gang interviews? I almost said something else. Gang interviews. <laughs> is it all going to be gang interviews? So, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, is, it, is that, is that is that our future not only this year but after this year? It's uh, but yeah, what the heck? What, uh, I mean, you, you got to do what you got to do. I really like the notion of uh, playing half your games against the maybe more than half your games against the NL Central, don't you? Yeah, because it's going to help the Twins cause quite a bit to play the steady diet of the Royals and Tigers. No, no, no! You're going to play the other. NL Central. Oh, NL Central. NL. I thought you said AL Central, yeah, I mean, too. That'll be fun. What the heck? If you're going to have a distorted Since season. Since when did you become Mr. Fun? Well, no. If you're going to have a distorted season, yeah, let's play the Cubs six times, the Cardinals. I mean, what could be better? You play the Brewers six times, the Cardinals six times, and the Cubs six times. Uh, supposedly, that's the way it's going to work out. You're not going to worry about any sanctity of the divisions, I don't think. It's, it's the Central's going to play the the West is going to play and the East is going to play. And uh, that is also, I think, Manford's uh, view of the future, too. Don't you guys think that? That they're going to try to have more geographical arrangements of their division. So we'll see. Yeah. Rather than yeah. league. Hey, I mean, they're, going to, they're, they're talking about having the Cubs and the White Sox in the same league and the, and the Yankees and the Mets. And I, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Hey, Pat, we just got done doing a Minnesota Sports Rewind episode about the 2011 Twins. What was your favorite memory about the 2011-99 loss Twins that actually had the best record in baseball for a 52-game stretch in the middle of the summer? I uh, my, my memory of the 2011 Twins is your optimism every day when I <laughs> sat in the studio with you and looked at you like you were insane and how fired up you got when they got to be 44 and 49 and thought, yes, this is the team we expected in spring training. Really paying very little attention to how rotten the pitch was. But uh, anyway, Was that a Sam DiDuno year? I can't remember. Was Sam one no. of the curlers or was that pre-Sam? That was pre-Sam DiDuno. Yep. Admit it, you thought. You thought when they had an 8 nothing lead on Madison Bumgarner, you thought it was happening. <laughs> In the first, right? In the first? Was that yep. the team that knocked him out in the first inning? He didn't get an out. Yep. Did he not get an out? He didn't get an out, right? Correct. But, yeah, that was when they were rolling, and then somebody. But I also had Danny Santana playing center field, right? Or am I wrong? Was that? That was later. Was that that was later. I think that. that... It all runs together, Pat. Who was on that team? Nishioka. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Now. Yeah, they had that. They had that was the injury season. They had like Denard Span had vertigo. They brought Ben Revere up for a while. Delman Young Delman was a train wreck was, and Delman hurt. Was still around, right? Yeah, Delman had uh, Delman had had a hell of a year in 2010. He knocked in 90 runs, didn't he? Didn't he knocked he? in like 110, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. We were looking at Delman, saying, "Oh well, I guess this is why they traded for him." And uh, <laughs> yeah, he, then he became Delman again. It was. Uh, it, it was an interesting uh, four years, I'll tell you that, for Gardy, man. Gardy went from, what, 100, and, 100 games over 500 to uh, 150 
under 500 in about four years. It was brutal. And then we thought they fixed it in 15 and came back and set a world record with 99 losses. Yeah. I remember per- Perky was uh, over watching something on television at the condo, gulping down fears, telling me how good he thought that club was in 16. And he convinced me, and I wrote a column, What's Not to Like? <laughs> They can maybe they can maybe they can use Zoom and pull some fans in on the jumbotron. That's what they'll do. You know they'll do I'm that. Going, I'm going with some. Uh, I'm going with some doctor named Claudio in uh, Italy who says that this thing's going to run its course and just go away. So I'm, I'm backing in. I'm I'm, I'm it, hell with Fashi Fashi and all those other guys that say. Yeah, it's screw back that guy. Yeah. I'm going with the guy in Italy who says, Ah, this will be over. It's never coming back after at least. Team Claudio, baby. Let's make it happen. Yeah. All right, Pat. <laughs> Sounds like a certain president, too. But that's another <laughs> well, yeah, topic. I mean, it's a hell of an idea. Don't, you know, that's another way to cut down on DWIs, too. Don't stop anybody. <laughs> don't stop anybody, right? Just don't. don't stop them. Don't test them. Yeah, you you smell of alcohol, but I'm not going to run the test. Kind of like in the 70s if you fell out of the car, tell them to take it easy on the way home, you know. So, yeah. You know what the cops should do? Follow you home and make sure you get home safely. That would be a way to build up goodwill between the public and the cops. It would, it would eliminate DWI as a problem in our time. That's okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. We'll see you tomorrow, Pat. All right. Did he just peace out by himself? Bye-bye. He did. I love it. Bye-bye. He knew it was su- that was such a good walk-off. He was done. We're going to let it be the walk-off for our show, too. We'll see you guys tomorrow for Write That Down Wednesday.